Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you help us to be receptive now. Help us to understand what the Spirit is saying to us at this moment. Lord Jesus, as, as the title of this, this screen is the most, the most important subject, Lord, I pray that you help me to impart it in a way that is honourable, true and right uh, by the Spirit of God. Lord, just keep me from speaking something which is not of you. But help me to say what you want to say to us. Help me to be a, a mouthpiece for you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that every mind here, every heart here will be softened and so that they will yield and receive what God is saying to them. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about a most important subject. God has been dealing with me about the most important subject in the church. He's been dealing with me about a subject that is so easily overlooked and often neglected, and it's the least taught subject in the church. This subject determines our success as Christians as well as our failure. By it, nations have been forged, and without it, nations come crumbling down. A result of it is souls coming into the kingdom And by it, revivals of Christianity have swept over the earth. God uses it to get his will achieved on this planet. And because of a lack of it, God, by his own eternal law, will not influence a single soul. Because of a lack of it, the world is in the mess that it is in. And when the people of God engage in it with commitment and dedication, countries can be changed and nations can be discipled for Christ. Due to its neglect, the people of God lack the power to influence God or men. And because of this, the church is guilty of many of the souls that go to hell. And I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Subject is prayer. Most neglected subject that there is. The title of the message is called Pray For We Are Losing Them. And I'm just going to pray. (laughs) Lord, help us now. Help us to get something stimulated and stirred inside us. Lord, for for this most sacred of all acts that we can do before you, Lord. So I do pray that you will really speak into our hearts and open our hearts and make us ready. Make our hearts ready to receive, Lord. I pray that and I'll continue to pray. Mark 11.7. One second. Mark 11, 17, sorry. It should be Mark eleven seventeen. It says seven there. Jesus said this. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, the house Jesus was talking about at that time in the scripture was a temple in Jerusalem. 
if you remember. He went over there and he kicked over the money changers' tables and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. But there's always a deeper meaning in Scripture. Who's discovered that? On the surface, oh, it's a nice story. But you go deep and, man, there's so many, so much more. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper, just a touch. The building we are sitting in is being used as a house of God. This is now dedicated as a house of God. But the Bible also tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And in other places, that these are houses to house God. Just a question come to mind. Does God find a home in your house? Does God find a home in your house? Who can, who can agree with me that there are a lot of people living in houses, but there are less that are actually living in homes? There's a big difference between a house and a home. And where the Spirit of God is, I believe there is a home. So this building and our human bodies are supposed to be houses or homes of prayer for all nations. Psalm 14.2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. He looks down on the sons of men. That's what God does. He's up there and he's, he's interested in our affairs. He looks down. Is there anyone down there who seeks me? He's looking for God seekers. God seekers are who the Father seeks. So if you want to have God bless your life, seek him with all your heart. And guess what? His eyes will be on you. Seek him with all your heart. He will watch over you. That can explain why the Christians that stop praying wonder why their life turns to rack and ruin and why their homes feel empty, why they don't sense God anymore. It's because if they stop seeking him, God stops watching over them. That all makes sense? Prayer is the most important, yet the most neglected act in the Christian church. I believe, and this is out of my book, God's Heart Cry for Revival, I believe you can tell the true Christians by their prayer life. I believe that a gauge of salvation in a soul is how deeply and actively we function our spiritual temple, this body, in prayer. What I mean is there's a gauge, you know, Jesus says, depart from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. Now, how do you get to know someone? Look, look at it from a relationship point of view. If I don't talk to someone, I'll never get to know them. If they don't spend time with me and I spend time with them, I will never get to know them. Now, Jesus was saying that statement to believers or who claim to be believers. Depart. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Didn't I do miracles in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they didn't get to know Jesus. They didn't spend time in prayer with Jesus. This is important stuff. So I believe that you can gauge how well you are saved by your prayer life. If you're not praying, get praying. Build a relationship with God. Just as you wouldn't keep a friendship with someone who never likes to spend time with you. You imagine if you ring you, you know, who you think is your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and you ring them up and say, hey, Jack, how you going, buddy? Oh, Rob, yeah, okay. Oh, sorry, mate, I can't speak to you right now. You know, would you eventually just, if that kept on happening, wouldn't eventually just cut that friend off? You'd just say, ah, oh, forget it, I'm not going to even try anymore. 
You know what I mean? Now, God uses that as a simile for us to understand the relationship he expects with him. Human relationships are great analogies for relationships with God, except God is first. If, if we aren't prepared to forsake our wives, our husbands, if we aren't prepared to forsake our children for God and put God first, then we're not worthy of God. God's got to be first in everything. Now, if you make God first in everything, guess what's going to happen in your family? You're going to have incredible relationships with your kids. You're going to have incredible relationships with your partner. And God, I've even noticed since Vina and I, over, over the last number of years, we've really committed to God and pressed into God and become one with Him. We've seen our family life, like, you know, it doesn't mean we don't have problems. We always have problems, but we get through them better. But we've seen with our extended family, especially there's a number, like who are really attracted to coming and seeing us regularly. You know, they don't, they don't know why they're atheists, but they like coming and sitting down and having coffees with us and, and others in the family that like to spend time with us. So our relationships with them are improving. And I believe it's all the grace of God working in our life. As Leonard Ravenhill said, you know why the world is poor and sick outside? Because we really don't know how to pray, that's why. I like Leonard Ravenhill. He's cut and dry. He doesn't hold any punches. He just tells you straight. We just don't know how to pray. You're wondering why the world's sick outside? Because you guys don't know how to pray. Not, you know, that's what he was saying to the congregation he was in. We know how to pray, don't we? Yes. yes. <laughs> and we're going to go deeper, you know? If, you, if you're a training for a swimming event, and you're a fairly good swimmer, but you want to get to the Olympic level, you get a coach, don't you? And you get coached and you improve in your swimming. Now, we all know how to swim in prayer, but there's a lot of improvement we can make if we get coached. And who's the best coach? Holy Spirit. Ravenhill also said, no man is greater than his prayer life. Tell me how much time you spend alone with God, and I will tell you how spiritual you are. If one Holy Spirit-filled Christian could learn how to pray effectively, he or she could cause a revival that would bring down the presence of God upon this city, causing multitudes to come into the kingdom. One person. I can't remember who the man of God was. He says, I'd rather teach one person how to pray than ten people how to preach. One prayer can do far more, and it can be far more effective for the kingdom of God than ten fantastic orators of the word of God. Speakers, preachers. I believe that if we made prayer our vocation, our passion, and our reason for living, God could do something with us that would shake this earth. I, I am sincere in that belief. When I say that, I must also state that I believe that the church at large is suffering from a spiritual drought of prayer. And this drought must be broken. And you know how I know that? You know when you, if there's been a long period of drought, you, you look at the soil, it's all broken open and it's, a lot of it's useless. It's, you know, um, it, everything's dead. There's, you don't see much life. Go out into our society and, you know, Adelaide's not the worst place in the world. There's some places. I've been watching um, uh, Hell's Bells, you know, the, the documentary on rock music made by a Christian ministry group. Incredible documentary. It's like they sold their souls for rock and roll. Really worthwhile seeing and you can see there's a spiritual drought out there the cracks are starting to show our culture is starting to break our culture is getting destroyed by satan and every all the youth 
are just taking it on. And they're running with it. And there's not enough godly influence out there. There's not an, and the reason is because there's not enough prayer. You know, we've got to pray and thrust the laborers out into the harvest field. But you don't thrust them out of the harvest field but without prayer. They've got to be prayed out. That's why you always see that in the book of Acts, they always prayed before they sent the apostles out. They must, and then they would have been covered by prayer while they were out. We've got to learn to pray. We don't know how to pray. That's our problem. In this church, God has made me, God has made that my problem. In this church, I can handle sort of the problem of this church because I think you're all prayers, but we've got to go deeper. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants me to teach you how to pray. Ian Bounds said, Where are the Christly leaders who can teach the modern saints how to pray and put them at it? Do we know that we are raising up a prayerless set of saints? Where are the apostolic leaders who can put God's people to praying? Let them come to the front and do the work and it will be the greatest work which can be done. It is my responsibility to teach you. It then becomes your responsibility to actually pray. And I'm going to go through a bit of teaching from Scripture today. We're going to sort of go through it quickly. We can dwell on it, but time won't permit. Once you learn how to pray, you must exercise the gift of prayer. It must be exercised. You know, it's no use starting a gym program for one week and then don't do it for three. You know, and then you come back and start again. It's like, oh, it's all hard again. Everything's heavy again. You know, we've got to get consistent. We've got to build up momentum. And I know because I keep on starting gym programs and then leave it for a week or two. (laughs) Now, why should we start praying? Because we are living, as Jesus called it, among a wicked and perverse generation and if we don't pray they are going to hell faster than we can count the the people out there are going to hell so quick you know they say one and a half people die every second or something like that it's it's very very frequent so every moment that we're just sitting here just enjoying the sermon (laughs) someone is falling into hell not knowing Jesus that's pretty constant isn't it there's someone just going, we should have that click going all day, shouldn't we? It'll alert us. Quick, get to prayer. Can we save another? Can we save a soul? Can we stop them from falling? And that's, that's a pretty heavy statistic. I'm, and I'm saying this because the scriptures tell us that wide is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. Wide, broad, many. Many in, in the Greek is multitudes. Multitudes are on that path. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it, and not many are on it. So we're, in a sense, the the chosen few at this stage. But that's got to be turned around. And I believe Joel 2.28 is going to come to pass in this time when he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh in these days. We're going to see the Holy Spirit poured out and all flesh will be impacted with the gospel. And the message of the gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. The world, This world is going to hell and it is going to hell on our watch. It's our watch. This is our time. We are, in a sense, the elders of the church now. You know, when we started going to church, in our, whenever we started, and when I, when I started, you know, in my early 20s, you know, and... Uh, I don't know how old you guys were. Were you 
young. Yeah, we weren't the elders then, were we? You know, whenever you get, if you're a new convert, you're not an elder. But as you get along, you realize, hey, all the elders that used to do all the praying, they're all, they've died. You know, we notice in our family, Venus uh, Yaya, which means grandmother, was um, on her knees three, four times a day praying for every member of the family. And during that time, there was like a, uh, a sense of a, a spiritual covering over the family. And everyone, it, things were going really good, really good among the family. She died, her prayers ceased, and man, did we notice the difference. Satan came in, whoosh, People started dying from cancers. There were arguments of family dissensions. All sorts of things started happening. Still happening. Marriages broke up. Amazing how much one person could cover a whole family because she dedicated three, four times a day to get on her knees for her family. And she was a Greek Orthodox lady, but I tell you what, she was a charismatic Greek Orthodox, an evangelist. If we could get a revelation of hell... A true, sincere revelation of what eternal damnation is like. We would not want our worst enemy to go to that place, let alone our families and our friends. If we could really understand what hell is like, it would change us forever. If you get a grip of it. Do you know what is funny? Because when I was writing God's Heart Cry for Revival, Bill was sending me um, emails about hell, accounts of hell and, and so on. I tell you what, at that time I was, like I was reading the accounts that he was sending me and watching the videos and, and so on. And you know what? The Holy Spirit was all over me whenever I would read these accounts of hell. What, regardless of whether they were true or not, the essence of what hell is like was in these, doc, uh, in these accounts. And the Holy Spirit would be all over me. I remember the times I'd be reading them and I'm thinking, God, why am I I'm so filled with the Spirit just by reading this? And I also knew that at that time when I was reading lots of those accounts, I became passionate to tell people about Jesus. And, and guess who one of my first converts was? I actually pointed and I said, guess who? <laughs> guess who? Matthew. Matthew come to know Jesus at that time while I was reading those accounts. So it stimulated in me an urgency to tell people about Jesus. Hell is the catalyst that has driven every great man and woman of God to their knees to plead for the children of men. Hell has always been the catalyst that has driven all the great men of God you read in biographies. It's when they get a revelation of that that they realise, man, I've got to dedicate my life to this. Because it's real. We're playing a serious game. This is not just a Sunday activity, guys. This is souls. This is eternal salvation of souls or eternal condemnation of souls that we are dealing with. And we've got to take it very seriously. We've got to treat it with the respect that is due to it. Hell is that place that awaits every soul who cannot declare that Jesus is the Son of God and died for them, a sinner. Hell awaits every proud person that will not bow down or bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So if you bow the knee to Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear hell, do you? You just fear God. And he's a righteous, just, holy God. We can trust him with our life. Leonard Ravenhill said, This generation will fill hell quicker than any other generation. We are so corrupt unless God in his mercy fills us. This generation 
that we are living among is filling hell quicker than any other generation. They are so godless, so anti-Jesus, blatantly anti-Jesus. Look at the culture that we're among. Look at the music that we watch on, on MTV. Well, I don't watch it, but it's on there. You know, I was at, having dinner with the other night with Vina at a family, one of our family members' house, and he just had the MTV going and the little kids in the And I looked over and I said, hey, man, there's a half-naked woman on TV. What's that doing on? And they got up and turned it off. But I'm thinking that's the mentality of people today. They don't even think. They just throw it on. Yeah, let their six-year-olds watch women dancing provocatively around men hardly wearing anything. As if a six-year-old has to have that impressioned into his mind, you know, pressed into the mind, seared in. Searing like a hot iron, numbing them, making them insensitive to that. So they start to think that, you know what sex is? Is that woman dancing over that man wearing hot pants. That's not what it is. Sex is sacred. It's, it's between a married couple. That's what it was created for. God And God should know. He created it. He should know how it's best used. You know, if you go outside of that, guess what? You get all sorts of diseases and sicknesses and you get, you feel terrible all the time and you break up with guys and girls and you're going from relationship to relationship and it just seems to spiral out of control. And your life, you wonder why you end up 40, 50 years old on your own and wondering, well, where, what happened? Why did I live like that for? Hell is filling up at a greater speed than ever in history. We have got to pull back this death count. We've got to pull back this hell count. We have always been looking for someone else to pray the prayers for the souls of men. But let God speak to you today. You are that somebody that God is looking for. It's us. Don't look elsewhere. Just It's us. That's our job now. You know? Don't always assume that God has someone else in mind to pray for the nations. God's pretty wise, you know. He didn't stuff up when he sent you to earth at this time. He knew you were the perfect person for the job. Or else you wouldn't be here. You would have been in the Middle Ages or something. But you were, you were sent here just in the nick of time, at the right time. And if we be obedient to God and walk in the calling that he has for us, we can fulfill everything that he sent us here to fulfill. And the commission that's over our life, our personal mandate. You are placed here at this point in history for a reason. You have a purpose in Christ. For every one of us has a purpose in Christ. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, if if anyone knows 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It says here, God says, If his people turn from wickedness, he will pour out his spirit. Do you want to know what wickedness is? It is when we know what we should be doing for Christ and we don't do it. When you're a Christian, that's wickedness. When we know what we should be doing and we don't do it. And that's why Jesus says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, when they turn from wickedness and as his people, wickedness is just don't, not obeying the will of God. We must repent and start doing what we ought to be doing and the main thing we should be doing is praying. Prayer should be at the top of the list of our priorities. Prayer. And right there with it, devotion time in the Word of God. 
And that's got to be put as first importance in our life. We've got to put such emphasis on it that we don't go and eat before we pray. Or we don't go and tend to our children before it. Unless you wake up too late and you've got five minutes to get in school. <laughs> but we've got to start waking up earlier so that we have time to do everything we need to do. That means we've got to go to bed earlier. Matthew. Right. <laughs> Soccer man. <laughs> Don't assume that you are of no valuable and your prayers are worthless. Don't believe that lie from Satan. It comes straight from the pit of hell. You know how many people have, how many of us have actually thought, well, I don't know if this prayer is actually doing anything. Have you ever thought that? I think it all the time. I'm praying and I'm thinking, oh, man, I really don't think that this prayer is even getting heard by God or matters. But that's a lie. It matters. You know, every prayer, every word you utter from your mouth to God is cherished by him. He places it in a golden bowl in heaven. It rises like incense, even if it's a little wisp, just a single word. Keep that in mind and you'll pray more. Because you'll think, you know, you're driving along and you see someone, you know, he's walking along the road, you know, decrepit or whatever, and you say, Lord, just bless that man, just bring him to know you. Leave it at that, keep going. Don't have to give it a second thought. But that prayer was heard by God, and God now has his eye on that guy. You know, the reason why our society is like it is because not enough of those kinds of prayers are going up from the people of God. Your prayers are more valuable than you realise. In fact, on the day of judgment, God is going to reveal to each and every one of us just how important our prayers really were. I tell you that at that time we'll all feel so foolish. I know I'm going to have a lot of regrets at judgment. But I'm trying to limit them now. There's going to be a lot of regrets. We're going to go, man, I had the power and it's right here actually. When you realise that the powers of the kingdom of God were in our tongue. And we did not bother to even utter a single word when it was necessary to utter the word. We didn't. The power of the kingdom of God is in here, in our mouth. And if we just speak our prayers out, speak them out. Offer them up and stop getting in the way saying, I don't think this matters. Just rebuke that. Just keep saying the prayers. Just keep saying the prayers. And God will do something. He'll open up incredible Amazing things that will take, take place. And then when we get to judgment, we won't have to feel guilty about how much we've neglected God through our life and neglected prayer. We will say at that time, while men were plummeting into hell, I believe the lion could not find it in my heart to pray for a single soul. We don't want to have that regret, do we? We don't want to go get to heaven and have a regret that we just let people plummet into hell and we didn't even offer a prayer. Well, like I said, it's happening every second, every second. These are the sins that are destroying the church. We fail to care. We fail to lift up our voices to heaven for our loved ones. We have a revelation of hell. We know of its reality, yet we couldn't care less if those we love burned. And we cry out to God, Lord, I'm too busy making money to do anything about it. Besides, Lord, how can I do anything about it? I'm powerless. We believe lies and Satan loves it that way. He loves it when the church gets like that. As long as we believe these lies, Satan continues to steal and destroy everything that is most valuable to us. 
Because you can understand something has to be done about it, doesn't it? Leonard Ravenhill said, there is only one way to heaven, but a million ways to hell. There's many, many roads to hell. There are too many roads that lead to hell and only one small, tight, treacherous road that leads to life and a few find it. And we are on that narrow road right now. But have we been stepping off it? That's what I want to ask. Us today, and I want you to, I'm not accusing any of you of doing it. I'm just asking you to check yourselves because we need to because that brings us to repentance and that restores us to God. Repentance is, could be called restoration. Have we been taking detours to pleasure, detours to wealth, detours to self? Have we been taking the easy road and thinking we're still on the narrow road that leads to life? Have we been really on the broad road but kidding ourselves thinking we're on the narrow road? As I said before, a gauge of salvation is prayer in a soul. How much prayer comes out of that soul? If we're not praying, we are playing Christianity. This is not a game. This is not a weekend activity. Did you know that? This is not all about just having a bit of fun. This is real life. We must stop pushing these realities out of our mind. We must wake up and treat our salvation as it should be treated with the utmost respect and walk it out with fear and trembling before a holy and righteous God. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. While he may be found, we've got to seek him. Because life on this planet is not forever. We don't know when we might leave. And it might be when we least expect it. You know, I can't remember who it was. It used to say it could be on the next set of lights, set of traffic lights. We could be on our way. To one of two places. Now, I believe every soul here is saved. If you have a confession, if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that he died on the cross for your sins, you shall be saved. In that second part of that statement, if you believe in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins, we've got to believe with all our heart. Now, that means if you believe with your heart, you have a changed heart because a hard heart cannot believe in God. A heart of the world cannot believe in God, but a changed heart can believe in God. And so that, that confession of faith must come with a changed, transformed life, a life that we no longer continue to live in the world, but we live completely for God. We must pray for the lost while they may be found. You know, it says here that we should call on him while he is near, seek the Lord while he may be found, but we've got to seek the, the unsaved while they may be found before they end up unreachable because there is a chasm between heaven and hell and you cannot cross over it. It's forever separated. God will give you every great thing in heaven. But when you're in heaven, there's one thing he won't allow you to do and that is step over the chasm into hell to reach someone that you used to love, that you used to be great friends with. And he's burning or she's burning down there. And you cannot reach them. They're lost forever. So while the lost are still with us, let's reach them for Jesus while, we, while they can be found. Once they are dead, it's too late and Satan knows that. And he loves it that's, that way. He loves it when the church does not act. I'm just going to... 
go through these uh, quickly. These are keys to prayer. Ask. This is what I was saying to you about. Poppy came in and said, I've got this thing for you on the mobile, and she showed me this thing about ask, and A stands for uh, ask, S stands for seek, K stands for knock. Ask, ask, seek, knock. Now we should ask according to his will. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 said, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So we've got to ask according to his will. We've got to ask with right motives. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's James 4.3. We should confess and repent, then ask. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66.18. So if he doesn't hear us when we have iniquity in our heart, then we've got to repent and confess this to God, or confess this, then repent in that order, and then he will hear us. So if we're wondering why God doesn't hear us on some issues, these could be the answers. Ask with faith as well as for forgiveness for others. Mark eleven twenty two to 25 says, said, have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So I like how he's knitted that to the first statement. They go together. You've got to forgive others so that God can forgive you. Because if you don't forgive others, then God can't forgive you. Therefore, you're unsaved. Therefore, God doesn't listen. So we've got to forgive others. Then God will forgive us. Therefore, we're saved. Then... We've got to not doubt and have faith in God that what we ask for will be given to us and be that certain. We should ask without doubting. But when he asks, this is James 1.7, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. If we have doubt, we shouldn't think we're going to receive a thing. Because you know God sees doubt as unbelief, doesn't he? Because if he's there and he goes, hey, you just worship me. You're telling everyone you believe in God and that I'm eternal. But then you ask me for something and you go, oh, in, in the back of your mind, oh, I don't think God really hears this. And in the back of your mind, does God really exist? Because that's what sort of goes with that. But if we know he exists, we know he hears our prayers. Therefore, we know he will Give us answers. We've got to increase our faith like this. We should ask without anger in our heart. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. We should ask with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've got to ask with confidence before God. Now we should also intercede. Intercede for everyone. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for 
everyone, for kings and all those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now we should be praying for our leaders, our governments, our local councillors. We should even be praying for our police force. Because if we want to live a peaceful and quiet life and enjoy the freedom that we have in this land, we've got to pray for our leaders to do the right thing. Or else, guess what? We're going to lose this freedom. America could very well lose their freedom. They are in a diabolical state over there. There is so much deception going on in the governments and and the people and there's rebellion going on everywhere and they've been leading the way in a life, leading a life of sin, like showing the world how to be sinful with all their movies and their, you know, God is, God doesn't put up with that for that long. He's been very gracious to put up with America this long. If they don't repent, if they don't start praying for godly leaders and godly movies and godly music, you know, they could very well lose everything that they have right now. One of the greatest countries that have ever, the world has ever seen, could lose everything. So if we don't want to lose it here in Australia, because we seem to follow suit with America, don't we? If we don't want to lose it, we've got to repent. And we've got to pray that, the, that we have godly leaders. And look, you know what? Here's evidence that we're not praying. We have an atheist as a prime minister. That should shock and shame the church. How dare our prayers be that ineffectual that God gives us an atheist to lead us? There you go. You're as good as atheists anyway because you have that much unbelief. You know, we've gone astray. We have to we have to repent. We have to repent. Now I'm saying this to a small flock here. But you know what? So Ezekiel repented on the half of and Daniel as well repented on the half of the people. You've got to stand in the gap. He looks for someone to stand in the gap and repent and say sorry for everything. This church should stand in the gap and repent on behalf of this country and the church of this country. And I believe if God is doing this in us now, he must be doing it in other ministers around around Australia. It's not just happening here. I know Joe Schimmel, for one, in America, in California. Heart of He's right there, smack bang in the heart of sin. Boom. Where do you put a guy like Joe Schimmel? where sin reigns. And man, he's powerful, isn't he? Who can testify? You've been listening to him. Yep. He's, he's amazing. We need more Joe Schimmels in this world. We need more guys like the guy who wrote, did that documentary for Hell's Angels. Uh, Hell's Angels. Hell's Bells. Yeah. Hey? Someone needs to do it. We should be praying for them. Do you know what? There's, there's been hell's angels that have turned to Jesus and you know the most passionate Christians when they find out the truth? Because they lived for Satan with passion and they were bold for Satan. They got it on their back. You know, everywhere they went, people feared them because of who they are in Satan. So when they come to Jesus, there's been many of them that have. They're just as bold and forthright. I heard of a, a story of a, a, a group, Satan soldiers, I think, or something like that, um, in uh, Melton, Mark was saying. Was it Mark or someone else? I can't recall. They, he sat down with, he was a Christian now. He didn't, didn't wear the, the patch anymore. And, but he still was respected by the Hells Angels or whoever that was in this, this spiky group. And when he sat down with a group of the leaders, they all put their pistols on the, on the table. That's one of the things they do, put it like that. They're all doing it. 
And he said, could you uh, remove those guns, please? And they said, no, I'm not going to remove it. And he said, all right, hold on a second. He goes out to his car, comes back, and he pulls out the Bible. Smack, if you're going to put those, that's your weapon, I've got my weapon. Bang, on the table. And you know what? They, because he was such a tough guy in his day, there was such respect coming from him, they listened to him because he taught him with authority and probably more authority than he had earlier. Once you have Christly authority, look out. You know, the Pharisees couldn't touch Jesus. Neither could the soldiers. Roman centurions were sent to grab Jesus. And what they do? He was t- you didn't hear this guy speak. <laughs> he spoke with more authority than you guys, you know. I, we couldn't go near the Lord when he was on fire. It's good to be on fire for Jesus, not because of sin. Now, we should pray with the Spirit. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's Romans 8.26. Now, that, that is expressing to be praying in the Spirit or the tongues of angels. Okay? Matthew and I had a chat about it this morning, and I have spoken in tongues in, in the past, and this morning I couldn't help it. I went to speak with words, and guess what? I couldn't speak with words of English, I spoke with tongues, and that used to be the case many years ago. And I accepted it because I was trying to speak with English, but it wouldn't come out. Little did I know, Matthew was walking around here praying that that would take place in me. But now that also says, though, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that the words cannot express. How many of you have ever gotten on your knees to pray... And you go, God, you know my situation, Lord. And all you can do is groan or cry or, or huff and puff. You know, the Lord sees that. That is spiritual burden that is being released to God. So it's a two-fold meaning, that scripture. A lot of them just focus on the tongues of angels, and it is that. But it, it's also, it says distinctly, groans. Tongues of angels don't necessarily come out with groans. Groans come from deep burden. We should also pray with thanksgiving. This is important. Do not be anxious. And we should also, I could have been in the same heading, pray with thanksgiving and don't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that a, a word? How many of us, how many, put up your hand if you get anxious. What's the scriptures tell us? Maybe we're not praying enough and that's why we get anxious. So when you're getting anxious, you should be like a little siren going off. Okay, pray. That's what, you know, anxiousness, that emotion that wells up in us, that's a signal. Get on your knees. And when I say get on your knees, you don't necessarily have to be physically on your knees. You just got to bow before the Father. And sometimes that is on your knees. Sometimes that's on your face. You know, sometimes it's jumping up and down. So do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, Philippians 4.6. So with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, always intermingled in our prayers, always thanking God. Pray with devotion. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians 4.2. Devote. Devote yourself. If you want to learn a musical instrument, you want to get good. Jenny will tell you, hey, Jen, 
We've got to devote ourselves if you want to get good on any instrument or anything in life. If you want to get good at playing tennis, if you want to get good at you know, running or whatever, you've got to devote yourself. Because if you're only partly devoted, you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to get good at something. And I'm not saying that because I see how devoted you are. Actually, all my students are very devoted. <laughs> Actually, no, most of my students. <laughs> I only speak truth from the pulpit. <laughs> Pray continually and don't let up. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. And we should ask with persistence, and here's the scripture, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the doors will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. You know why I said, I, I referred to that as persistence? Okay, you go to God, you ask, and you don't, Get a response. So what do you do? You seek. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Get the scriptures out. <laughs> you seek. You seek. And then what? Okay, Lord. <laughs> Knock on that door until he answers the thing. That's persistence, isn't it? There's many ways. that There's probably been a million plus sermons preached on that verse. But that's just one quick way of understanding it. Persist. Ask knowing God wants to give. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God wants to give us these things. God wants you healed, Jenny. God wants you healed, Poppy. He wants you healed. He wants to give these good things to us. Michael, God wants to give you a house. Claim it by faith. Claim healing by faith. Just say, yes, okay, thank you, God. I'm going to go out and get a house. Find it. Lord, you'll provide because you want to give good, God, uh, good gifts. And God honours faith. God honours steps of faith. So if we make steps towards the thing that we believe God wants to give us, then he will honour that. He won't let us down. We might have to go through some trying times. There might be a trial. There might be a testimony at the end of it. Oh, man, then that door closed and we thought we had it made, you know, and then suddenly... A light shone, another door opened, and then I went through, and there it was. God wanted us to go that way all the time, but I thought I was meant to go that way. You know, if you persist and seek after God, he will show you the way to everything he wants to give you. Ask in truth. Ask in truth. And the truth is the word of God. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 145, 18. You know what? If we don't know the scriptures... How can we pray correctly? If we don't know these scriptures, how can we pray correctly? You know, that's why he says we've got to know it so we can ask in truth. So we can remind God, hey, hold on, you said you want to give good gifts to your people. And you said that you'll, you will answer my prayer if I pray in accordance with your will. And your word says this, therefore I'm in accordance with your will. Hey, what's going on? That, you know what that is? That's knocking. That's knocking in heaven. That's not giving up. Ask in the righteousness of Christ. This is the last scripture. The Lord detests the sacrifices or the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of, up, of the upright pleases him. Proverbs 15.8. And the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Now hold on. Isn't there no one righteous, not even one? Isn't the word of God says there's no one righteous, not even one? 
right? according to humans. But what about a God-man? There is a righteous God-man. And he has a righteousness that he imputes to us. He gives it to us. Therefore, when we ask, we ask. And that's why Jesus says, you have, you ask in my name. Use my name in prayer. Because then we ask in Christ's righteousness, not our own. Because we can't stand before God in our own righteousness. That's why I'm always mesmerized by the book of Job. Job keeps on stating this case about his own righteousness. I thought, well, that's bold. Especially in this day and age under the new covenant. Man, I couldn't dream of going to God and being that bold in my own righteousness. Even King David in some of the Psalms, he states his righteousness. You know, examine me and find there's no false, falseness in me. You know? But no, I, I, I stand from the side that only Christ is righteous and I'm going to claim it for me. And therefore, I can ask with the righteousness of Christ. So I plead with you today to get to praying. Place prayer on the top of your list of daily priorities. Put prayer there. If you're writing up schedules per day, put prayer. Write as the first thing, put it as the last thing you do in the day. And if you can find a moment in the middle of the day. And remember, it's not necessary for you to have to pray for hours and hours and hours on end, even though that would be good. But a lot of it, it's unrealistic, isn't it, in our lifestyles. But it is good to go in there and get to praying. And you'll find that you'll, once you get in the habit of it, it builds. It builds. You know, a simile to that would be if you start a running program, you start, you're only doing shorter distances at first. You go out, you do a kilometre, you might do two kilometres. John and I are doing that at the moment. We're doing a, a running plan and we're only doing short distances. But as this running plan progresses, we end up doing much larger distances. So if you get in the habit of it, and I'm, and I'm sure many of you are in the habit of it now, but start setting aside time. Start setting aside that place for where you always go to God. Be a little bit religious about it. And why I say that is, is the early disciples, Peter and John, when they healed the, the beggar in the street, were on their way to prayer, which was at three in the afternoon, the time when they all would go to pray. So they were a little religious about the hour in which they prayed. And it doesn't hurt to be a little bit religious in those sort of things. To just say, okay, now this is my time in prayer, guys. You know what I do right now. You know, keep it down a bit. But go into your room and pray. Seek the face of God. Pray for your parents. Pray for your partners who don't believe. And for your siblings that may not believe. Relatives and friends that don't believe. And pray for the believers as well. But start praying. Because this is the call. This is the true act of being Christian. I just want to go back to one thing. Intercede at all times for all the saints. Did I miss this? I thought I did. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So guys, you're meant to pray for each other. And we're meant to pray for other congregations. You know, ministers that we've sat under over the years, pray for them, lift them up. Pray for your friends in the Lord. Pray for everyone. We've got to pray and cover each other in prayer. But it also says this, pray also for me. Now, I could be saying that to you. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. This is Ephesians 6, 18 to 19. Pray for me that I will be able to continue to preach the true word of God and, if, and to go deeper into the truth. 
Pray also that I don't get deceived. Because you know how many men of God are falling now? I need your prayers. Men of God fall like wildfire around are falling like wildfire around the earth. Getting deceived, getting led astray, getting tempted and falling to the temptation. So pray also. We should pray also for those that are God has placed to lead the churches. Does that all make sense? So I just really appeal to you today to start praying. Let's let's put this to God anyway. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to, to uh, impart this sermon, this message into everyone's hearts here. And Lord, I pray that this message will, will bear fruit. That it will not, not become a void. That it will not fall to the ground. Lord, I pray that every every word I said will have an eternal effect on all of us. And that it will be like a turning point in our Christian walk. That this day will signify a, a turning point where we chose to seek you. And to look to you in everything. To ask you for all the blessings and and for all of the salvation of all the souls that we know that are just that have rejected you, and that we would see a revival of Jesus Christ take root in this city and in this country of ours. Put on our heart to pray for our leaders, pray for our politicians, for our local government. Lord, we enjoy a beautiful life here in Australia. Let us not lose it, Lord. Put it up on our heart to pray for godly leaders, to pray for godly men who will take their place in in councils. Lord Jesus, we pray for godly policemen that will go out and administer godly justice. We pray for the community where all the rebellion we see in the community at large all around us, Lord. Lord, we pray for these, for the youth of this day that are finding it so hard to, to... yield to their their parents, to yield to any kind of authority. We pray that spirit of rebellion, we come against it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you would vanquish that spirit of rebellion from this city. And let us continue to lift that prayer up to you, Lord, until we start to see a change, a marked change in our communities. And let us believe, give us a spirit of absolute, pure belief with no doubt. Let us not be deceived into thinking that what we pray has no effect or has no benefit to the kingdom of God. God, help us to overcome this this, uh, dreadful disease which the church has contracted, a disease of unbelief. Let us break this drought of prayer that has swept over this country, over this world, Lord, and let prayer just rise to you in in proportions that this, this earth has never seen before. And may you pour out your spirit on all flesh, Lord. In your glorious name. Amen.